turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans 4. Well, if you follow art, then you're probably aware of kind of the big news of there's this painting that they've been working on. It's a 17th century Dutch landscape. It's called The View of Schenevenegen Sands by a guy by the name of Hendrik von Anthonyssen. He painted this in 1641. And you're looking at it like, uh, no big deal, huh? Just a little beach scene there. Nothing too much to get excited about. And you would kind of think that. There are some conservators at the uh, Art Institute there in the United Kingdom. Uh, they are working on restoring these paintings. And there is this one particular gal by the name of Shan Kong. She's been assigned to work on this particular piece of art. What they would do is uh, these painters, and they paint, in order to preserve it, they'd put a varnish on there. And that's all fine and dandy, except over time it turns the painting yellow. And so they're removing this varnish, and, and sometimes they find that there's actually like an overpainting. And what people would do with artwork is that they would move it around to different rooms, and if there was something in the scene that they didn't want anymore, they'd actually hire an artist to paint over it, okay? And so they, uh, on this particular scene, as she started working on this, she noticed that there was like a figure. It almost kind of looked like a little man, and, and there was like a sail that was there, and like is this parasailing or something that's going on here? And she's kind of working on this. And, and then it starts taking off this overpainting. And lo and behold, it wasn't a sail. It was the fin of a whale. In fact, this is her finished product. She finds this, there's this huge whale. That's, this is the focus of this piece of work. And there's a man standing on top of that sail, on that top of that whale, with, that actually kind of looked like a sail when she started working on that. And what happened is it's been painted over. And it's kind of like the whole justification of faith, that major doctrine that gets established at the very beginning of the Bible. What's happened is time and tradition has painted over it. In fact, people back in Jesus' time completely missed it. Even today, most people miss the foundational doctrine of how a person is made right with God by virtue of justification. Time and tradition is completely painted over it. Let me just tell you what needs to be removed and revealed for us to know how a person is made right with God. We're going to like take the varnish off, that overpainting, and we're going to see crystal clear from the scripture. Let's first of all begin with a definition of justification. As we've been making our way through the book of Romans, uh, we have mentioned this term before, but I want to give you that definition. Justification means this. It is God's judicial act. It's a legal act where he declares a believer righteous on the basis of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection, and it is received only by faith. That is the key phrase, because what's happened is people believe they're made right with God by anything almost then other than faith. And so what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 4, he's removing all the varnish, all the shellac, all the overpainting, so that we see crystal clear how God has always made people right with himself. And as we saw last week in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verses 1 through 8, it's not by your works. Look at verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 4, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a, as a favor, but as what is due. But look at verse 5, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Your good deeds, your good works 
can never merit or earn you salvation. And that's what Paul has been establishing in his initial verses. But let me give you another one where many people think they're made right with God by virtue of some sort of right, some sort of ceremony, some sort of ritual that has been done to them or they took part in them. They think that if I've done this, I must be right with God. And this is something you see in all the major world religions. There is always some sort of ritual or something you can do to earn God's favor, to earn salvation, to make sure that you're going to heaven, to get your sins cleansed. You do these things, you follow these rituals, and you're going to be fine. You find it in traditional Judaism. You find it in major segments of Christianity. There's always this idea that there's a ritual or a rite that you can do. And the people in Paul's day, when Paul says no, a person's made right with God by virtue of faith, they're saying Well, that's not how it works in the Old Testament. Abraham, they were convinced, was made right with God through his obedience, and God gave him circumcision. And you'll find Genesis chapter 17, God said, I want every male born to your family, I want that male to go undergo this minor surgical procedure where he is circumcised on the eighth day. And that will mark out our covenant my covenant with you. But what had happened is the Jewish people, they got so fixated on circumcision, they actually missed its full intent. In fact, the Jewish people were so convinced that circumcision equated to salvation that that was the complete mindset that as long as it was practiced, the Jewish people were fine and right with God. They went so far to say as this Rabbi Menachem in his book of Moses, in this particular commentary, he said this, Our rabbis have said that no circumcised man will ever see hell. As long as you got that right, you are fine with God. Well, listen to what Paul says. Is this blessing, verse 9, on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? Do you have to be circumcised to be right right with God? Or could even a non-Jewish person be made right with God? Look what he says. For we say that faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. We said that faith, that's what Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed, that's what made him right with God. So verse 10, well, how then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Now, here's a very penetrating question. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, when was Abraham made right with God? As someone who had been circumcised or someone who had been uncircumcised, like a Gentile? And the answer, while uncircumcised. Genesis 15, 6, God told Abraham, because you believe you've been made right with me. When did circumcision enter the scene? Genesis 17. And that is 14 years after God had actually declared Abraham right. It is 24 years after Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where God establishes a covenant and says, I'm going to give you a land, nation, and blessing. It's 24 years after that event that circumcision is introduced. Circumcision was always meant to point back. In fact, that's what he actually states in Genesis chapter 17, verse 11, that circumcision always pointed to the, side, pointed to the reality that Abraham believed God, and that is what made him right. It always pointed to that covenant. And so he says, it was not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. You see that, verse 10? And verse 11, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness 
which he had while uncircumcised. He received, Abraham received the sign. What is a sign? A sign points to the existence of that which it signifies. A seal is actually like a guarantee. It marks it out as authentic or certifies. But you're familiar with signs. So if you see a sign that says Texas barbecue, okay, like you maybe see a sign like this. It's real Texas barbecue, not the pseudo stuff, right? It's the real deal. It's got ribs, brisket, and chicken. And you see that sign, and you're driving your car. Do you hit the brakes, pull over to the side of the road, run up to that sign, and place your order? I'm going to need a pound of brisket. I'm real hungry. Six ribs, uh, a couple sausages to top things off. And oh, by the way, uh, the little lemon towelette things, I need to be looking good and smelling good. I need a lot of those, right? I'm going to have like a little makeshift shower right here, right? Do you put your order at the sign? If you do, you need to stop. You're making yourself look bad, okay? You don't want to do that. You, you'll never, you can't get your food at the sign. A sign merely points to the restaurant. The sign tells you the restaurant, the Texas barbecue is coming, and you know that. That's what circumcision did. It was a sign. See what the text says, verse 11? It was a sign that pointed to the event that Abraham was made right with God by believing by faith. It wasn't the ceremony that made, right with him, made, God, made him right with God. And furthermore, he also says that it is a seal. A seal actually guarantees something. A seal guarantees, like you can see, like a Texas seal. You see seals on your diploma. Uh, you've got notaries that seal papers, and they mark them out as official. That's what circumcision was. It showed you that indeed Abraham's faith was authentic and genuine. And every time circumcision was practiced, and it has been practiced throughout, and it happened every single day, it was always to remind the Jewish people of the faith that Abraham had, the covenant that God established with him that was received on the basis of faith. That's what circumcision was meant. It was always meant to draw you back, to remind you of how a person is really made right with God. So much so that you need to understand that there is even a cutting away. God has to circumcise our hearts. And that was always meant to point back to God's establishing his right relationship with Abraham by virtue of faith. But you know what happened? People just completely missed that. And they started focusing on the tradition. In fact, they completely missed it. God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Okay, you can find that in like Genesis 17, verse 4. He said in Genesis 12, I'm, through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. The Jewish people just like, families? That's plural. <laughs> all the nations of the earth? No, one nation. We have Abraham as our father. He's the father of our nation. We're not sharing. But God said he's going to be the father of all the nations. How would that be? Because you and I are made right with God, whether we are Jewish or Gentile, not on some sort of right, but by virtue of faith. And the Jewish people completely missed it. It's like it had all been varnished over. They put overpainting. They're like, we don't even want to see that anymore. We don't even see that anymore. We look at the picture and we never see that anybody can be made right with God. And Abraham was basically like a Gentile. I mean, he came out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, a total pagan. He wasn't circumcised, but he believed. And God declared him right. Now, I'll tell you, there are so many people that think that there is something you can do to earn God's favor. There is a ceremony that you can partake in. And let me give you the number one. You know what it is, don't you? It's baptism. 
there are literally millions of people that believe they are fine with God because they've been baptized. And so they put all their stock in the fact that water was poured over them as a baby, or maybe they, they've kind of got corralled and getting baptized someday at some church somewhere. There was a heat of the motion. Someone grabbed you and said, you're next. Oh, really? And next thing you know, you're getting thrown under some water. You're not sure what's going on, but you're sure hoping that it works, right? I was talking with some uh, friends. I'm developing a relationship with some of these guys. And uh, it's really interesting. This one guy, he's, his brother is an Episcopal priest. And we were... It, Lo and behold, the subject of baptism came up. I didn't bring it up. He brought it up. And he was talking about his baptism, and he said this, hey, if it didn't work, I want my money back. Okay? And that's kind of the mindset. That ritual, that rite, that's what makes me fine with God. And I've got it. And I'm speaking on firsthand experience. Because I was baptized as a baby. And I thought that I was fine with God because I had certain rituals that I had taken place in. Check, marked off the religious box. But you need to know something. That ritual is absolutely meaningless apart from faith in the living God and in Christ. Let me give you another one, communion. A lot of folks think, man, if I just take communion. In fact, we're going to celebrate communion at the end of our service today. And there are folks that actually have the idea that if, as long as I take in communion... Whatever that is, man, I've got it, man. I'm doing things like the church people do, and that's going to make me fine with God. Wrong. There is no right that you can ever take part in that will make you right with God. They are absolutely meaningless apart from Christ. Do you want to have right relationship with God? It's not through your works, and it's certainly not through any right. Well, Paul is going to continue removing the varnish, taking off the shellac, going, taking that overpainting off, and he's going to explain the gospel clearly. And he, in verses 13 uh, and 15, he's going to talk more about that. But there's something that you need to see about Abraham. Look at this at the end of verse 11. So that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. You follow in Abraham's steps, whether you'd been circumcised and you're part of the Jewish people, or you're an uncircumcised Gentile, if you have faith and really believe in God, you're a part of his family. You are a part. That is how Abraham is the father of us all. But let me give you another way that people really trust and really think that if they do this, they will be made right with God, and that is by following and obeying a law, specifically God's law. Could, could following the law, now the Jewish people thought circumcision gets you in and following the law just kind of secures that. If you follow God's law, you most certainly are going to be made right with him because you're a righteous individual. You're doing what God has asked you to do, and God recognizes that. Does following the, and obeying the law really make you right with God? Well, look at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law. What? That's right. It's not through the law, but through, through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. If you're made right with God by virtue of the fact that you can obey and follow the law, there's really no need for faith. 
God just needs to award you and reward you for being such a nice boy or a nice girl that's following the law. Promise, this whole promise that God's going to do it, that's not necessary because you've earned it. But he says, it didn't work that way, does it? Look at verse 15. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. What he's saying there is the law, all it does is show you how great a sinner you are and how much you need Christ. Just, we could easily figure that out. You guys ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah? How you doing on this one? You heard of, first commandment is what? Anybody know? Wow, if you don't even know, you're in real trouble, right? If you don't even know the commandment, how could you follow it, right? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everybody batting a thousand on that one? Is that the picture of your life? Not exactly, right? What does that show you? It shows you how deficient you are, how much you've missed the mark. You've been created and designed for God. You're out doing your own program. The law brings about wrath. Now, you remember how chronology helped us understand that, well, Abraham was justified before circumcision. Remember that? Well, when you look at chronology, when did, when did the law come out about? The law came about about 500 years after Abraham. Did Abraham have the law? No. If he didn't have it, how could he follow it? Well, I don't know. That's a very good question. Obviously, he was made right with God by virtue of faith. The law came about 500 years later. Moses gave it to him. And so it's not by law, but what the law does, like it says in verse 15, the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there is no violation. And he's saying, really, all the law has done is, is it's condemned you. It shows you're a sinner. But the law had an intent, and it was always to point you to God and specifically his Messiah, because that is the only way that you will ever experience redemption. And when he says that the law brings about wrath, and, it, and when there is no law, there is no violation, it's kind of like this. The law specifically when stated, when you break it, it shows you where you're specifically wrong. So for instance, let's say you're driving and you are in a neighborhood and you notice there's a park with a lot of children playing and you notice there's a school and you're like, I ought to slow down. And so you bring her down, you gear her down to like 50 miles an hour when you drive through there with all the kids there. Is that right? No, you're wrong. You're going way too fast. But as soon as you, the sign goes up and says speed limit 20 miles an hour and you're going 50, you have a violation, a transgression, because it's now been stated clearly and you're violating it. Or let me give you another example. Let's say you go and you see a field and you're like, oh, that looks so cool for me to take my four-wheeler on and I'm just going to tear this place up, man. And you're just like, I cannot wait to get out there. And you're out there and you're cruising around and you're having the time of your life. Are you trespassing? Well, yeah, because you don't own that land, right? You're not sure who it belongs to, but you're sure having a good time. But if you passed a sign that says, no press trespassing, stay out, immediately when you cross it, you've become a violator, a transgressor. And that's what Paul's saying. The law, far from bringing salvation and justification, all it did is brought condemnation to you. And there's something about the law that we are attracted to it. We so desperately want to do something, follow rules, 
people take the Bible and turn it into some sort of code book. Like you do these things, you don't do things. Then they add a bunch of other things that you think you should or shouldn't do. And they try to force that on themselves and on others. And they think that because I'm such a good Christian, God is going to bring me in. I'm doing these good things. You need to know something. It doesn't work. Law, no matter whether it's from the Bible or you make up your own rules, you can never bring about justification, can never make you right with God. It fails every single time. Well, then how then are you and I really going to be made right with God? If it's not through works, if it's not through rights, and just by the way, on the, on the circumcision deal, it was always meant to point to Abraham's faith in God, and it was for his covenant people. Do you know that Ishmael, Ishmael, remember when Abraham decided to take matters into his own hands? And so Sarah gave her handmaid, Hagar, to Abraham, and they conceived a child. That child is Ishmael. Did you know that Ishmael was also circumcised? But is Ishmael and his descendants part of God's covenant people? Is he? Is the Arab world? Absolutely not. That, that circumcision was always meant to point back to Abraham and his faith and being declared right with God. And which, just by the way, when you think that you can take matters into your own hands and you're like, ah, you know, God's not working this out like I'd like it, the implications of such poor decisions can have large implications, i.e. today. Ever heard of a little country, Israel, and all their surrounding friends? How is that working today? You know where that all got started? You know all that animosity that's just a time bomb waiting to explode? You know where that all got started? When God started when Abraham was like, God's not working this out. I need to take matters into my own hands. It's not through rites. It's not through rituals. It's not through works. It's not through law. How is a person really made right with God? Well, look at verse 16. This is the crux of the passage. It is by faith in God and his grace, promise, and power. That is the only way by which a person is made right with God. Look what he says, verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith. Faith is not non-rational. Faith isn't checking your brains out of the door. Faith isn't some sort of blind leap into the dark where you're just defying all logic. It just doesn't make sense. I'm just going to kind of believe because that's what I need to do. Actually, Faith is based upon the facts. Biblical faith is taking God at his word. And I can assure you that every single person is a person of faith. Whether you call yourself a new atheist, or you call yourself a a Buddhist, or a Hindu, or a Muslim, or a Christian, whatever you call yourself, you are a person of faith. And you exercise faith all the time. For instance, if you've ever boarded an airplane, you have faith that they constructed this thing, this heap of metal— in such a way that it actually flies. Don't think too hard about that because you may never get on a play again and that there's a crew that actually can do it. Or if you've ever had a surgery and you've literally placed your hands in a physician's, physician's hand and care, they've anesthetized you. They have put you out and they don't even fully understand how that all works. They just know that it does and they got a doctor who's been well-trained and they watch your every breath when they put you down like that. You are literally believing that this operation will be of benefit to me and I put myself into the hands of these surgeons and the care of this medical staff. You and I are people of faith. It's not just a blind leap in the dark. It It is believing in what you know to be true. 
and you believe the facts, and that is how you and I are made right with God. Look at verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. God wants to give it to you because of his love and his lavish graciousness so that the promise will be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to those who are of the law, speaking of Jewish people, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. God wanted to make sure it happened. And you and I, we'd never know, like, have we done enough good works? Have we followed the law close enough? It could never happen. There's only one perfect person, that's Christ. And so God wanted to guarantee that you and I would receive righteousness. And so you know what he did? He provided it. All you have to do is believe in him. And he says, verse 17, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead. And he calls into being that which does not exist. And with verse 17, what he's doing is he's transitioning to help us understand what condition Abraham was when he really believed. And he's, he's calling to mind that it is God who could actually bring people back from the dead. Do you see that? And he's also saying that he calls into being that which does not exist. You aren't righteous. Is it possible that God could declare you righteous? Well, let me, let me fill you in on the details about Abraham's life. Look what he says in verse 18, or verse 17, excuse me. As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed. Abraham believed God, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. For Abraham, in hope against hope, he what? He believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. He believed, but the problem was he kept getting older and older and he and Sarah could never have children. And he is 99 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. He's almost 100 years old. There is no way it is biologically possible that they can have children. And yet God gave him the name Father of the Exalted Nation. And he has told him, you're going to be the blessing of all the families of the earth. And there's just one huge problem. He doesn't even have a single child. How is that possible? Ishmael was not it. And so he's like, it's supposed to be from Abraham and Sarah, but we can't have children. Our bodies are good as dead. In fact, that's what Paul goes on to say. Look at verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Now, if you're 100 years old today, okay, you're, you're not dead, okay, but there's certain things that just aren't happening anymore. And that's true of Abraham and notice what he also says about Sarah and the deadness of Sarah's womb. God put them in a position where it was simply impossible humanly for the promise that he would receive a progeny and he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. It was impossible. There's no way. He's 100, Sarah's 90. But look at this. And yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, verse 21, he was also able also to perform. Therefore, 
it was also credited to him as righteousness. You see, he recognized, man, there is no way. Our bodies, good as dead in terms of having children. But guess what? He believed that God could do it even if it was humanly impossible. And why, why did God put Abraham and Sarah in this situation? I want, to, I want you to know for two reasons. One is so that you and I will always understand that righteousness always is a divine activity apart from anything you can do humanly possible. The other thing is that God puts us through situations where we have to be stripped of ourselves that we're totally dependent upon him. And so for Abraham, he saw that for he and Sarah, it was impossible for them to have a child, but he believed that God was able to do it. Now, don't get the idea that Abraham had a perfect faith. In fact, there were times that he did some things that were pretty questionable. He was at times even disobedient. But Abraham had a faith that believed that God could accomplish it despite his mess-ups, despite his lack of understanding how it would work, even when it didn't make any sense biologically and he looked at all the circumstances, he believed if God said it, somehow he'd be able to accomplish it. He had promised it, somehow he's going to be able to do it. And when he believed, that's what God reckoned as righteousness. And you need to know that these things that were written, that God did in Abraham's life, they weren't merely for Abraham's benefit. They are written for our benefit. Look at verse 23. Now, for his sake, now, now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for also for our sake, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. What he's saying here is just like Abraham and Sarah, when they looked at their physical condition, it was as good as dead, and yet God accomplished the miracle, and they believed, so it is with Jesus. He literally died. He was given over. Do you see that? He was delivered over, verse 25. God gave him over, the one who lived a perfect life, the very son of God who entered into humanity. He existed from all eternity. He literally lives a perfect life. He dies as a sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice for our sins, and God raised him up. And when God raised him up, it is to declare to the world, I am satisfied with the atonement of my son. If you want righteousness, it is found in him and him alone. And just like Abraham considered, hey, this is an impossible situation, you and I, we realize it is impossible for me to be right with God apart from God doing the miracle of raising Christ from the dead, and he believed. And when we do, we are made right with him. And that, friends, that changes everything. When we realize that we've been delivered by nothing of our own works, not our works, not following the law, no ceremonies, but that God has done it. It changes how we, we view our lives. We're no longer paralyzed by our past sins because it's been settled and satisfied. Our identity is secure in Christ. We actually know who we are. We know why we exist. I'll tell you something else. We have a complete assurance. We know that it's not up to our abilities to keep a law or to follow commandments that God is the one who provides salvation and right relationship with him, and he gives us hope 
even when life seems hopeless. If you want to be like Abraham, you keep focusing on God and not your circumstances. You focus on God and not your bad behavior or your good performance. You focus on God. You focus on the doctrine of justification, how God makes a person right by faith, and that's where we grow strong in him. I was reading of this guy by the name of Matt Chandler. He's a pastor. He was a writing of an event that took place in his life. He was speaking at some sort of conference, and it was 20 minutes away from his hometown. And so after getting done with one of the talks, he decided to hop in his car and go check out his own digs where he used to grow up, his old home. And so he did. Let me just read to you what he said. When I was done preaching, I decided to hop in my car, drive 20 minutes to the town in which I grew up, and look at the houses that I remembered from back then. And as I drove into town, I passed a field where I once got into a fist fight with a kid named Sean. It was not a fair fight, and I did some shady, dark things in that fight. I completely humiliated him in front of a large crowd of people. And then he goes on to write, and and then, then I drove past my first house, and I thought of all the wicked things that I had done in that house. I passed a friend's house where once at a party, I did some of the most shameful, horrific things that I have ever done. And afterwards, on the drive back to the conference, I was overwhelmed with the guilt and shame of the wickedness that I had done in that city prior to knowing Jesus Christ. I could hear the whispers in my heart, you call yourself a man of God? Are you going to stand in front of those guys and tell them to be men of God? After all that you've done? In the middle of all that guilt and shame, I began to be reminded by the scriptures that the old Matt Chandler is dead. The Matt Chandler who did those things, the Matt Chandler who sinned in those ways was nailed on that cross with Jesus Christ and all of his sins, past, present, and future, were paid for in full on the cross of Jesus Christ and I have been sanctified once for all. He remembers my sins no more, and I no longer need to feel the shame of those things because those things have been completely atoned for. And friends, if you want release and to know God in a living way, freed from your past and, and totally secure in a glorious present and future, you must believe in Christ and Christ alone. Our faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. If you're putting it in your works, how good it works, good things you've done, in the rituals that you've gone under, um, your law, you are going to be sorely disappointed because they always fail. There is but one, and it's Christ. And you believe in him, and you can be forgiven and released. And friends, that is the gospel. That's why Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. Do you want it? Is that what you want? Let me tell you where you find it. You find it in believing in Christ and Christ alone. And your faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for an amazing chapter of the Bible. You take away the varnish and the overpainting of things that so clouded our understanding, and yet there's millions of people that are so confused on this particular foundational issue. And if there is someone here today who has never put their trust in Christ, but now they finally get it, 
Perhaps they've been resting in good behavior or that they had some ritual done to them at some point in their life and they get it now. Would they simply pray with me and God, I turn from self and sin. I turn from rituals that I put my trust in or my good behavior. I'm trying to work it out and I believe in Christ and I give you my life and I receive the righteousness that simply comes from him by faith, I believe. And Father, for all of us who truly know the Son, may we rejoice in the foundation of our faith, which is a righteousness that you give to us by faith. And we tell you we love you. And may this truth of being justified by virtue of believing in you grow deeper and stronger in our life, maybe of the theme of release and rejoicing in us as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.